Well, Jim, we do appreciate you today uh, resurrecting your, your past responsibilities and leading us in worship as we celebrate our senior adults as a church. We need to honor those who have uh, gone before us and set the stage and prepared the way for us. And so we're going to have a luncheon afterwards for all our senior adults, and it's going to be a festive occasion. Just let me tell you, if you're not a senior adult and you're not coming to lunch, you still want to go by and look because the room is decorated wonderfully, and uh, you need to know what you're missing out on. (laughs) Now, in addition to celebrating our senior adults today, we are going to dedicate this precious little girl. Now, i got to see if I can turn her around. Is she not cute or what? You know, I had two stinky boys. I had nothing that looked like that. (laughs) But this is Leslie, and she comes now with her family. It's your turn, huh? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I done messed up. Well, let's go back to what we're doing. Uh, This is Leslie, and we've come this morning to actually dedicate us to God on her behalf. We, we must all acknowledge this, this little girl, she belongs to God. She is designed by his mind and she was crafted by his hand and she actually belongs to him. We're simply stewards on her behalf, first with the family and then with the church. So we've come this morning to acknowledge before God the responsibility we have in raising this beautiful little girl. Now, Psalms 127.3 says, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So we must always look at Leslie and say, Man, God has blessed us richly. She is a gift from God. She is precious in his eyes. She was made in his image. And if you smile one more time, I'm going to lose it. She is, she is too cute. Now, Will and Katie, you have the frontline responsibility here. God has put you in a position of greatest importance. So do you promise before God and this church that you will raise your daughter in the admonition of the Lord, teaching her to walk in the ways of God and setting for her a godly example? We, you do, right? Yes. Good. Well, church, they can't do it alone. The old saying is it takes a village to raise a child, and that is just very, very true. It takes a church to raise a child. And you and I have incredible responsibilities to help this family with all four of their children, as well as every other child that God has entrusted to this congregation. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Train up a child. There's a big difference between training a child and teaching a child. I think so often we're good at teaching them. We've got to step up to God's level and train them, which means we show them the right way and we put them in positions where they get to do it themselves. We train them. You train a child in the way they should go and when they are old, they will not depart from it. We should train them. We've got to work to train them. So church, do you promise before God and this family to support them as they raise their daughter? Do you promise to pray for them? and to encourage them, and to lead this church to fill its responsibilities in the life of this precious little girl. All right, let's do that again. That sounded a little bit better. All right. Well, it is an honor and a joy to have 
you here with us and to present her to this church and to dedicate her to God. And we will pray for her early salvation experience. We will pray for the peer group that she will be part of because they will have quite a bit of an influence on her. We're going to pray for her older brothers and sister that they will set for her a good example. Uh, and, and we're going to pray that this church does everything it's called to do to help her grow in her faith. All right, so you ready to pray with me? All right, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this beautiful little girl. She is precious and she is yours. And you have such wonderful plans for her life. So, Father, I thank you for Will and Katie that they, they have seen fit to come and dedicate her to you, knowing that she is yours and they're simply stewards. And so, Father, I pray for this precious couple that they will do everything humanly possible to raise their daughter to know you as Savior and to follow you as Lord. I pray for the brothers and the older sister that they will set a great example that they will help nurture uh, Leslie in the faith, that they will help her to see Jesus uh, in, in a true reality. Father, I pray for the friends that she will grow up with, that they will also encourage her faith and, and help her to walk in the ways of Christ. And Father, I pray for this church, that we will see uh, the responsibilities we have to love this little girl, to take care of this child, to raise her to know Jesus, and to pour into her, to invest into her what she will need so that she comes to Christ at an early age and walks with him all the days of her life. Father, thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, we have prepared a, a little certificate. And I tell you what, I, I'm going to let the big brother be the keeper of the... I'll tell you what, we'll, uh, we've got a little musical uh, CD. You want to hold that for me? And then we wanted to present her a Bible. You want to hold that for me? Okay, that'll help. All right. Hey, let's give this family a round of applause. Thank you. Right. Thank you so much. Now that was fun. So, what a good day. What a good day. If you have a source of scripture, you can turn to or turn on Psalms 23. So we're in a uh, series of sermons. We're walking uh, word by word, uh, verse by verse through the 23rd Psalm, and, and the 23rd Psalm is arguably the most beloved of all the Psalms. And it's, it's so well loved because it's so intimate and it is so personal. David, in Psalms 23, is emphasizing the importance of the relationship that every believer can have with our Creator and our Savior. David is telling us that our faith in God is a heartfelt connection. It's not an academic pursuit. It's not a religious obligation. It's not a cultural activity. It's a relationship. 
There is a foundational quality of friendship, of companionship, of familiarity. Now, some are uncomfortable with a God that is so accessible. They see God as high and lifted up, like you read in Isaiah 6. They see God as exalted and transcendent. And God is all that. He is even more than that. But he's also a God who took on flesh. And he came to earth to live as one of us. He left the glories of heaven. And he came to this sin-plagued world to experience life as you and I do. And even now, even though Christ has ascended back to heaven, even now, his Holy Spirit chooses to live with us and experience life right alongside us. He is a God who values the relationship over the ritual. He is a God who values companionship over ceremony. He is a God who values friendship over formality. It is all about the relationship. God invites us to seek Him. You know, one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture is found in John 15. Well, John 15 is just full of profound statements, but... uh, In the context of this sermon, John 15, 15 is just uh, amazingly profound. Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, he says, no longer do I call you servants. You know, when you think about it, you and I don't even earn or have the right to be a servant of God. I mean, we're, we're not sufficient in ourselves. We're not good enough in ourselves to even be a servant of God. But we promoted far past that. No, lo- no longer do I call you servant. For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Instead of calling you servant, I call you friend. Now grasp that for a minute. Try to wrap your head around the fact that the transcendent, omnipotent God of the creation, who spoke everything into existence, looks at you and says, I want to be your friend. Now, if that doesn't rock your boat, you don't understand the statement. Anybody got Donald Trump's phone number? How about Governor Ivy? Can you, can you go home this afternoon and call her on the phone? I'm going to say that one day and somebody's going to say, yeah, I can. I'd love to call Nick Saban, but, you know, if I call, he's not going to answer. But somebody far superior to any of those three levels is willing to take my call because he has chosen to be my friend. And because he has chosen to be my friend, he actually confides things in me. Anything he has heard from the Father, he has shared with us. It's a friendship that says there are no secrets. There's no hidden agenda. I'm not in this for myself. I'm in this for you. It is all about the relationship. And see, David conveys all of this and even more in Psalms 23. 
through the metaphors that David chooses to use, he expresses meaningful truths about the relationship that God has for those who trust in him. So let's read the first three verses, and then we're going to look closely at the second part of verse number three. And it reads, the Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I have all that I genuinely need in this life. As my shepherd, he lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. Now look at this part. As my friend, he steps into my life and he joins me on the journey and he guides me along the right path because I don't know where to go and I don't know where to turn and I don't know when it's up and when it's down and I don't know what's hidden on the trail. I don't know what I'm going to find on the other end. I am lost without a guide. So he steps in, not as a boss, but as a friend and he guides me along the right path and in guiding me, he brings honor to his name. There's just so much there. David writes that the shepherd whose provision supplies all that we need, who gives us rest in green meadows, who gives us peace beside tranquil waters, who restores energy to our soul, also steps into this life and he guides us. How easy it would be to turn his back and say, find it on your own. Do the best you can. Good luck. I hope you make it. But that's not his approach. He takes us by the hand and he leads us in the right way. As our friend, he's leading us through life when things are hard. He's leading us through life when things are easy. Folks, remember, a difficulty in life is not an announcement that God is no longer there. In fact, I'm pretty sure the Apostle Paul was more aware of God's presence in the difficult times than he was in the good ones. As a friend, our God is leading us when we struggle up the hill and when we race down the hill. He is there in the moments when the trip through this life is so very painful as well as there as being there when the journey brings us great pleasure. There are those times in this life when the work is done, the task is accomplished, and we find the shepherd has led us to the greenest, luscious pasture. And there in that pasture, we just find rest, and life is wonderful. There are all those times in the journey when the chaos is left behind and the turmoil dies down and the peace slows down and the noise quiets down and we experience the tranquil waters of a gentle stream. There are those times in the journey when our soul is restored and our energy is renewed and we soar over our problems and our anxieties as if we're an eagle flying into the heavens. Or we outrun our struggles with great speed. Or we simply endure through them and persevere until we've conquered them because we wouldn't quit. But then... 
There are those times in the journey when we come off the mountain and we enter the valley. And in the valley, there is no green grass. And in the valley, there are no gentle streams. And in the valley, our energy is sapped. And we enter that deep, dark valley and the shadows encroach. When we enter the valley, we know we're in the territory of the enemy. The threat is very real. And the fear engulfs us like a deadly vice. And some wonder, where is God? Why is he letting this happen? And God steps in and says, I am right here and I am still leading you through the way. Now, regardless of where you find yourself in the journey today, the truth that you must hang on to is the knowledge that your shepherd is right here with you. He has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. In fact, he has promised he will never abandon or forsaken you. Even in the darkest of valleys, he is there with you. You are not alone. He is with you, and he is leading you, and he has a purpose for what he's doing in you. And I want to give you four thoughts, and uh, I hope they help. First thing I want you to see is our shepherd has an agenda. In Psalms 37, David writes, and he tells us that the steps of a godly man are ordered by the Lord. They are intentionally lined up with the end result in mind. See, we sometimes approach life as if it's a series of chaotic coincidences. But David knew better than that. The Apostle Paul knew better than that. Our God is in control, and our God has a purpose. Paul writes about it, and he's writing to the church in Philippi. He says in chapter 2, verse 13, For it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you. You may be going through circumstances that are outside of you, but God is at work in you. You may be up against challenges that are outside of you that are bigger than you, but the God who's inside of you is bigger than anything you face. You know the old expression that God won't give you more than you can bear? That is so scripturally wrong. God will most certainly give you stuff you cannot bear. He is going to take you places you cannot handle. David faced off against Goliath. Goliath was nine feet tall. He weighed 400 pounds. He was heavily armored. He was a well-trained soldier. David was a 14-year-old, 90-pound weakling. David couldn't handle Goliath, but Goliath couldn't handle God. Your God will lead you to places you can't handle, but he will never lead you somewhere he can't handle. And that's a huge difference. And it's coming to the understanding that we, are, we so desperately need God that we can't live life on our own, that we are insufficient in and of ourselves, and that we must depend on our great God. That's where God is trying to get you because when you learn that dependence, you learn to trust. And when you learn to trust, you learn to obey. It is God who works in you. To do what? To will and to act. 
Now, we're good at the acting part because there's a lot of societal pressure on us who claim to be Christians that we live up to what we claim to believe. Now, sometimes we mess up. But for the most part, we behave and we do the right thing because we don't want to get caught. There are consequences if we do the wrong thing. So for the most part, we do the right thing. Doesn't necessarily mean we want to do the right thing. So God is also, not as he working on our actions, he's working on our will. He's working in us to recreate us so that we want to do the right thing, even if we could get away with doing the wrong thing. See, he's working on your will and your act. Why? In order to fulfill his good purpose. Our God's at work. And sometimes he works in the valley. Sometimes he works on the mountain. But he's always with you. And he's always at work. He is leading. And he is guiding. And he is directing us along a path that will complete the transformation into a more Christ-like person. See, God has a plan. That plan is to transform you into a spirit-filled, Christ-like person who walks in righteousness. And in walking in righteousness, you bring glory to His name. God's plan focuses primarily on your character. On your character. What are the fruit of the Spirit? There are nine fruit of the Spirit. What are they? Descriptions of character. It's more about your heart than your hands. It's more about who you are than what you do. The transformation that God talks about is about character. It's about character. It's about character. And character transformation is hard because, are you ready? It requires change. It requires death to your old self. And death, even spiritually, is always painful. The Apostle Paul, in writing the Philippians, he keeps along this same trend, and he makes this statement. Forgetting what is behind. Listen, back in my past, I had a lot of success. Paul says, look, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. I was a Jew among Jews. I was rich, and I had a lot of authority, and I had a lot of power, and I had a lot of prestige. I got to study under the greatest theologian of the day, and I was known as a student. And they were putting me on the pedestal, and they were assigning me great responsibility. And I was well-known, and I was set for life. I had a lot of stuff in my past. But I have to forget about it. Because I can't live in the past. It's a trap. Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. I want to grow. I want to get closer to God. I want to become more Christ-like. I want to see my character change. I want to have more love. I want to have more joy. I want to have more peace. I want to be kinder. I want to fulfill all those nine characteristics of the further spirit. I want to be more like Christ. And I can't do that unless I change, unless I grow. Unless I am transformed. So Paul says, look, I will do whatever it takes to press on toward the goal. See, there's a goal. I want to win the prize. I'm playing to win. I'm not just going through the motions. I'm not happy just sitting on the sideline. I don't want to just 
ease through it. I'm going to press on to win the prize. Singular. There's one prize. How hard are you working today to win the prize? For which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So we recognize the shepherd is the Lord and he is in charge. And we surrender to his plan and we follow his path. Becoming who he has designed us to be. And the path will sometimes lead to green meadows and gentle streams. And other times the path will lead to the most painful places on earth. Either way, we follow because we know the shepherd knows best. He has a plan, and his plan is for our good. His plan is intended to produce righteousness in our lives that enables us to bring him glory. There's nothing better to live for. Well, there's a second thought. Now, we live in an age when comfort is of the highest value. And it gets in the way because our shepherd has a purpose and he leads with a purpose. Our culture wants everything to be easy and immediate. Our culture wants everything to have this emotional reward and a personal gratification. In other words, our society wants everything to make us feel good and look good. Isn't that true? It's all about Feeling good, looking good. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I want you to feel good, and I want you to a certain extent look good. That's just not why we're alive. There's just more to it. But the problem is the development of a righteous character will never come easy if you're simply trying to look good and feel good. Your sinful nature that you're born with is going to fight any kind of spiritual growth. And this broken world that we live in is going to fight any kind of godly progress. And the evil one, there is an evil one, and he will do everything to hinder your development. Hey, listen, you got friends and family that will fight your spiritual growth. The path to righteousness will never be easy or convenient or comfortable. (laughs) It is so very worth it. The hard truth is this, too many never develop righteousness that brings glory to the Lord because as soon as the path steps off the meadow with the green pasture into the valley with the dark shadow, they quit and they give up and they back away. It's too hard. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. Where is easy and convenient and comfortable that makes me look good and feel good? You know, we can all think of countless examples of athletes and musicians who had great potential, but never reached that potential because their work required to develop their full ability was never accomplished. For them, the path was too hard. Even more sad than an athlete who doesn't reach their physical potential is a spiritually immature Christian who refuses to follow the shepherd through the valleys of struggle where genuine growth takes place and character change occurs. See, you have to stay on the path. Staying on the path is worth it. 
See, I've been asked, if I'm going to heaven anyway, why should I put myself through the burden of dying to self and growing in righteousness? Why can't I just live in the easy and the convenient and the comfortable? David tells us one reason is because the transformation of our character will draw us closer to the shepherd and wherever he is, that's where we need to be. We need to be with him no matter where it takes us. And if it takes us into the valley, we need to go to the valley. Moses knew a little bit about following God. And Moses goes so far as to say that, in, that, that being in the valley with God is better than being in the green pasture without him. Now you think about that. Today, where is your heart? If God's in the valley, are you headed to the valley or are you headed to the pasture if you've got a choice? In Exodus 33, 15, Moses said, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. Now, God had been telling Moses the time in the wilderness had come to an end, and it was, it was time for them to enter the promised land. The promised land was a land flowing with milk and with honey. And, and Moses' response to this invitation was, God, leave us in the wilderness. Leave us in the dark valley. Leave us here among the shadow. We don't want to go to the promised land. We don't want to go to the pasture if you're not there. If you're staying here, don't send us anywhere. Because it's better to be in the valley with God than to be in the pasture without Him. Our culture won't teach us that. But our scriptures do. It's better for you on a difficult path that leads to righteousness with God than on a pleasurable path without God that leads to sin. It's better for you to be on a difficult path with God that leads to righteousness than on a pleasurable path without God that leads to sin. If it leads you to righteousness, it is the right path, even if it leads you into the valley. And the final point this morning is the path is designed to produce growth. I get the question, basically they ask, why would God lead me on a path that might lead me to pain? Why can't we just camp out in the green pasture beside the still waters? Why does there have to be a dark valley? Why can't it always just be hunky-dory? Why can't it always be 68 degrees and sunshine? Why do we have to have storms? Why does it have to rain? Why does it have to change temperatures, spiritually speaking? And the answer is pretty obvious. I mean, if I can figure it out, anybody can. We may enjoy the pastures, but we grow best in the valleys. We may enjoy the pastures, and we do, but we grow best in the valleys. We have enough military men in here and women. You've been to boot camp. They put you to boot camp before they send you out into the battlefield because it takes a boot camp to prepare you to be in the battle. If you didn't go through boot camp, you wouldn't be prepared 
and you'd be in trouble. A writer by the name of Steve Eli, he said this, it's in the variety of, well, no, it's in the variety of the path that causes us to grow. It is the variety of the path that causes us to grow. See, if we were always in the green pastures and never faced any hardships, we wouldn't grow. We wouldn't die to self. We wouldn't develop a Christ-like character. We wouldn't learn dependence. We wouldn't cultivate fruit of the Spirit. We wouldn't grow. At the same time, if we were always in the valley, we wouldn't survive. We wouldn't develop joy. We wouldn't develop peace. We wouldn't know rest. We need the pastures as well as we need the valleys. It's in the up and down nature of the path that we grow. I read somewhere the, mat mat the mature sheep, try saying that three times real fast. The mature sheep are those who know best how to enjoy the green pasture, but at the same time walk with a limp because they've been through the valley. Max Licato is right when he said, God never said the journey would be easy. God doesn't say that. God never said the journey would be easy. We got a false theology out there that says, man, if you come to Christ, he takes care of all your problems. No, he doesn't. He adds to them. God never said the journey would be easy. But he did say the arrival would be worthwhile. We got, we got athletes in here who go to the weight room. And in the weight room, you tax your body. You lift weights to the point that the muscle tissue begins to break down. And then you go and you rest. And in the rest, the muscle tissue builds back. And it builds back bigger and stronger. If you didn't go through the breaking down process, you wouldn't have the building back process. And if you didn't have the building back process, you wouldn't have any growth. It's in the tearing down and in the resting that you have the growth. And God does the same to us spiritually. Sometimes the path God has you on is enjoyable. Celebrate. Rejoice. Other times your path is very difficult. Draw close. Get on your knees. and Seek his face. Either way, regardless of the path, you continue knowing the destination, which is Christ-like character, genuine righteousness, God-glorifying capability, is worth whatever process God puts you through. When Jordan was little, I didn't have to make him study. Kid was like his mom. She gets all the credit here. Don't tell her I said that, but she does. Jordan would come home, sit down at the kitchen table and do his homework. Just like Debbie would. And then I had Jarrett. And it was tooth and nail fighting. I'd beat him within an inch of his life. I'm surprised they didn't call DHR on me. Getting him to sit and do his homework. I'd call my mom and I'd be whining and complaining. I can't get the kid to do his homework. And she'd go, I know how that feels. <laughs> but he had to do his homework. He needed to study. 
He needed to develop the brain God gave him. And I had to make him do it. He didn't want to. He'd rather be out playing. He'd much rather play basketball than study any day. Now the kid's got a master's degree and graduated with, you know, honors. And I'm not sure what happened. Somewhere along, God flipped a switch. But we know that we sometimes make our children do things they don't want to do for their best interest. And then God sets us at the kitchen table and makes us do homework. And we wonder, God, why are you doing this to me? God never said the journey would be easy. He just said their destination would be worthwhile. Sometimes the path God puts you on is enjoyable. Other times the path is very difficult. Either way, you continue knowing the destination is worth the process. As a believer, don't forfeit your destination. And don't become discouraged because of the difficulty of the journey. The path chosen for you has a great purpose and a great value. It has a great purpose and a great value. It has a great purpose and a great value. What you're going through has great purpose and great value. What you're struggling in has great purpose and great value. What you're up against, what you're fighting, what you're struggling with, what's facing you, what you can't overcome has great purpose and great value. And it's this, the transformation of your character into a more Christ-like person. It's worth the journey. Stay on the path. Let him lead you into righteousness that brings glory to his name. Let's pray.